Well, good morning, Stonehill Church. I'm so glad that you've decided to join us this morning, and uh, I hope that we'll be encouraged uh, through, uh, through God's Word uh, this morning. I must tell you that preaching to an empty sanctuary is uh, a nightmare that many pastors have. We all wonder, will anyone come and listen to us preach? And today, I'm living out this sort of horrific daydream that I've often had, that what happens if I come to church and preach and nobody is there, and actually nobody is there except Nathaniel, who is, uh, who is uh, videotaping this morning. Anyway, it's always important to look at God's Word, and certainly at a time like this, we need more than ever to root ourselves in what God has to say. So let me read to you the text that we'll be looking at this morning from Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49, 1 through 7. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples, from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord. And my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. This is God's Word. I think one of the things that's important for us uh, this morning is to realize the difficult context that, that surrounds Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 49. Israel at this time was in chaos. There was only a remnant of of, of a small number of believers who actually followed God in Israel. Israel was supposed to be the nation of God, the nation that displayed the beauty and glory of God, and yet the nation was in chaos. Most of the people were idolaters, and because of their idolatry, because they failed to worship the true God, they they were filled with corruption, they were filled with bribery, They, they were not taking care of the poor and the marginalized. There was dishonesty everywhere. And the nation, this nation that was called by God to display the beauty and glory of God was failing to live up to its purposes in God's plan of redemption. If you remember back in Genesis 12, God called Abraham and then his son Isaac and then Jacob to be part of this family and ultimately a nation that would be part of God's rescue plan to bring the world back to God, to redeem the world from sin and all of of its effects. 
But now the nation is in chaos. The nation is completely unhinged. And you can only imagine what those in the godly remnant were thinking. They're thinking, what has happened to our nation? What has happened to God? What about the promises of God? What about our purpose as this nation designed to show the beauty of God? What has gone wrong? Has God's program for the redemption of the world failed? That's the environment that Isaiah speaks into. And as Isaiah speaks into this, he's going to give us two pieces of good news, good news that we need to believe, but also one piece of very, very bad news that we also must understand and embrace. Two pieces of good news, one piece of bad news, and we need to embrace all of it as we follow Christ in these times. Here's the first piece of good news. The first piece of good news is this. God is going to send a servant, a servant who will restore Israel and be a light to the Gentiles in order for God's program of redemption to succeed. God will not allow the failure of Israel to deter His plan to bring salvation to the world. And we see this in the first (coughs) verses in, in, in Isaiah 49. Let's walk through this quickly to see this first piece of good news. Isaiah starts his proclamation by saying, listen to me, O coastlands. Give attention, you peoples from afar. Isaiah is calling the world to listen to this announcement that God's plan of redemption will succeed through the suffering servant that he's going to describe in just a few verses. Now, at the end of verse 1 through verse 4, there's lots of debate, if you look in the commentaries, whether this refers to Jesus or whether this refers to Israel, the corporate Israel. Now, in reality, when you look at these verses, you can see it referring to Jesus. You can also refer it to, you can see it referring to Jesus, uh, to, the, to Israel. And it, it's interesting that uh, Isaiah is such an amazing writer, a skillful writer. It's possible that he's overlaid both the history of Israel and Jesus together. I guess we'll find out when we get to heaven. I'm going to take this as referring to Israel Uh, corporately in verses uh, 1 through 4, and then certainly in verse 5, and possibly even before that, Isaiah is going to turn his attention to this suffering servant who will be the linchpin in God's plan to redeem the world. The end of verse 1, it says, The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. I think this could be referring to the birth narratives in the founding of Israel. When Jacob and Esau, the two twins, were inside Rebekah's womb, and God said that, that, that Esau, the older, would serve the younger, and that Jacob would be the chosen son, the father of the nation of Israel, could be referring to that. Verse 2, He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of His hand, He hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. Israel was supposed to take the word of God, the law of God, preserve it, but also to teach it to the world. Verse 3, and he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. And this is why I take it in a corporate way. What what, what, what we're seeing here is that Israel had a purpose to glorify God. It was supposed to be a nation that operated under the authority of God and displayed the glory of God to the world. But clearly, in Isaiah's day, it was failing to do that. Verse 4, but I said, speaking of Israel, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. This is a recognition that Israel, relying on its own strength, has failed to live out God's purposes. 
And because Israel was such an important component in God's plan of redemption through the Abrahamic covenant, it appeared in Isaiah's day that God's program had stalled, that it was in jeopardy. And then the end of verse 4, it could be Israel speaking, yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. What we have here is a, 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 a reminder that Israel is saying, I know that we're failing. I know that we're not fulfilling God's purpose for us, but, but, but God has made promises to us and, 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 and he has made certain uh, covenants with us that he needs to fulfill. Now, whether you believe that we're talking about Israel Hill or Jesus, which is a very valid understanding, certainly by the time we get to verse 5, Isaiah is now speaking of an individual servant. What God is, is, is telling us in this text is that there is a servant, a servant who is going to come and deal with the failures of Israel and through him is going to provide salvation to the whole world. Notice verse 5, and now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be a servant. We're talking about an individual servant. This is Jesus being formed in the, in the womb of Mary to bring Jacob back to him. God's purpose in the suffering servant who is Jesus was to restore Israel and to bring Israel back to God and that Israel might be gathered to him, to bring Israel back to a place where they're fulfilling their purpose. And he goes on to say, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. The suffering servant is, is certainly a human being, but he's also divine. But God, the Father, has, has given him honor and glory. It, this reminds us of Jesus at the baptism when a voice from heaven said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. In verse 6, we get a, a little more of a sense of the mission of this servant who is going to restore uh, Israel, but he's also going to do much more than that. Verse 6, he says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. This little figure of speech is sort of saying it, it's, it's, it's easier for, for this servant to bring Israel back, but the purpose for this servant is much bigger. We see that at the end of verse 6. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. What Isaiah is saying is that while Israel has failed to do what it was supposed to do in God's plan of redeeming the world, God would send a servant who would not only restore Israel and, and, and help Israel do what it needed to do, but God's purpose was even broader than that, that this suffering servant was to bring salvation to the entire world. This is the mission of the suffering servant, who is Jesus, who is the linchpin for God's program to redeem the world from sin and all of the effects of sin. And then in verse 7, it says, thus saith the Lord, uh, thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One. Again, speaking of Jesus, speaking of God, he's the redeemer of Israel and his holy one, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Isaiah pictures a servant who will come to restore Jacob, Israel, to its purposes, but also will bring salvation to the nations, to the ends of the earth. But this servant is going to be one who suffers he is going to be despised. He will be rejected by Israel. He will be the servant of rulers. What Isaiah is predicting and what he's bringing hope to Israel 
which is in chaos, is it looks like the purposes of God are not being fulfilled. It looks like the, the people of God have completely uh, uh, undermined God's purposes in bringing salvation to the world. But God would send a servant, a suffering servant, someone who would die on a cross and take our sins upon himself, Some, someone who would restore the fortunes of Israel, who would restore salvation to the Gentiles and take the salvation of God to the ends of the earth. This is the good news that God has promised to us. This is the good news that Isaiah gave to the people of, of Israel who were in disarray. And this is the good news that we see and that we must believe even today. Now, what is interesting about this passage is that in the, in the early stages of the New Testament, and I want you to turn to Luke chapter 2 at this time, Luke 2. In Luke 2, verse 25, we, we see the story of a man named Simeon who will quote Isaiah 49 and allude to it in his, in his speaking. Verse 25, this is again Jesus has just been born. The suffering servant has now been born, prophesied by Isaiah centuries beforehand. And now Simeon, who was in the temple, is able to get a glimpse of the suffering servant that he had been hoping for and praying for all his life. Verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. In other words, Simeon had been promised that he would see the Messiah before he died. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents, that'd be Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took Jesus up in his arms, blessed God, and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you are prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people, Israel. Now, I, I want us to think about this. Isaiah gave a promise to a troubled nation that was supposed to be an integral part of God's plan of redemption for the world, and they were failing miserably. In Isaiah 49, Isaiah promised that a, a human being, but a, a, a divine and human being, the God-man, Jesus, this suffering servant, would come to, to be a blessing to Israel, to provide salvation for Israel, to bring Israel back to its God, but also to be a light to the Gentiles. And now, this promise that was given to the nation of Israel for, for hundreds and hundreds of years, the promise of this future suffering servant is what a, a godly Israelite would have had to hold on to to have hope in a broken world. They were looking forward to the day when God would bring this suffering servant to bring redemption to the world. And now Simeon, as he holds the baby Jesus, can look into Jesus and say, this is the salvation of Israel. This is the salvation for Gentiles. This is the suffering servant that Isaiah talked about. I've seen the salvation of the Lord. 
You see, for, for, for people who lived before Jesus, they had Isaiah 49, but it was looking forward. They had to believe in a promise. We, living now here in 2020, in the middle of a pandemic, of course, we get to look backwards to see that the suffering servant prophesied in Isaiah 49 has already come. We have four gospel eyewitnesses and thousands of manuscripts to confirm the accuracy of those manuscripts. We have more historical data about the life of Jesus than most things that have happened in ancient history. We have every reason to believe that Isaiah's prophecy of Isaiah 49 has been accomplished in Jesus Christ. He has come. He has come to die for us. God's plan of redemption moves forward because the suffering servant of Isaiah 49 has come and suffered and died for our sins. So that any Israelite or any Gentile, so that the world could be saved through this Jesus. And that should give us hope. That should give us courage. See, in Isaiah's day, they had to look forward. Simeon himself had to look forward to the promise, which gave him hope. We get to look backwards and know that Isaiah 49 has already been fulfilled. We have every reason to have courage and hope because God's plan of redemption in the person, in the servant of of the suffering servant, Jesus has come to give us new life to take our sins away. And his life and death is is the linchpin for God's salvation plan to rescue the world from its sin and all of the effects of sin. May we have hope. I must admit that for me, Maybe about 10 days ago when we started to shut the church down last week, I sort of became overwhelmed with all that was happening around me. I sort of became overwhelmed with, with, with the fragility of the world, with, the, with all of the, 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 the unsettledness of, of all that this has brought on us. And, and I felt as if God was, t- was speaking to me. I felt as if God was saying, the reason you're so overwrought, Tracy, the reason you're so upset is because you have suddenly placed your hope in the world. I, I felt God reminding me, hey, Tracy, the world was just as broken and just as fragile six weeks ago, six years ago, six months ago. The world was, was, was just as temporary and just as fragile. What you're experiencing now, Tracy, is that the world is, is fragile and you're feeling it at a deeper level. And it's exposing that your hope your confidence, your security, your identity, your hopes and dreams are not wrapped up in Jesus Christ plus nothing else. We, unlike the original readers of Isaiah, can look back to see that the suffering servant of Isaiah 49 has come already. And that should give us more hope, more confidence, more security, because we know that suffering servant has come in the person of Jesus. That's the first piece of good news. Now, unfortunately, I'm going to give us a piece of bad news. Now, we need the bad news with the good news. But the the, the other interesting thing about this passage is seeing how the New Testament uses Isaiah 49. And in order for us to do that uh, in this piece of bad news, the piece of bad news is this. If we are rightly related to the suffering servant by faith, 
and salvation has come to us. We have a gospel responsibility to take the gospel to the world, but that means we will have to follow the example of the suffering servant and experience suffering in that process. Jesus Christ came to to suffer and die so that we would not have to suffer and die for our sins, but he did not come to suffer and die so that we would never suffer. He suffered and died for our sins so that when we suffer, as we carry on the mission of the suffering servant, when we suffered, we would become more like Christ and continue the ministry that the suffering servant uh, inaugurated when he died on the cross. I want you to see how this shows up in the New Testament. I want you to turn to Acts 13. Acts 13 is a passage in which uh, Isaiah 49 is used. You can begin in verse uh, 46. Paul and Barnabas are on a missionary journey. They are preaching the gospel. And um, in the preaching of the gospel, they are going to experience suffering like Jesus did. But all of their ministry is centered on the same ministry that the suffering servant had, as they quote Isaiah 49. Verse 46, Acts 13 says, And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. He's speaking to Jews here. Paul often would say to the Jew first and also to the Greek in Romans. The gospel would go to the Jews first, then the Gentiles. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourself unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Paul and Barnabas are saying that their ministry of taking the gospel to the Gentiles so that salvation could go to the ends of the earth is identical to the ministry given to the suffering servant. What this means is when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, the suffering servant, we take on his mission and we are part of his mission to the world. Now, what's interesting after Paul and Barnabas identified themselves as having the same mission as the suffering servant, it goes on in verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. What we see here in this passage is that Isaiah 49 defines the mission that we have as being connected to the suffering servant by faith. We carry on his ministry to the world, but it also means that we must share in the same type of ministry that Jesus had, which was suffering in the process of taking the gospel to the whole world. Suffering is an essential part of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And we don't like that so much. Oh, we love it that Jesus died for our sins. We love it that we won't have to suffer for our sins. But we don't like the idea that if we are rightly related to the suffering servant, we carry on his mission in the same manner that he conducted his mission. Which is, we must experience suffering in this life as we serve that suffering servant. Now, I think God calls us to that at all times. But I think in this time, all of us are going to be called to suffer. There's no way around it. 
I was really encouraged uh, earlier this week when a number of young adults on their own had, had already kind of linked up and were willing to serve people who are vulnerable in our congregation and serve them by running errands, putting themselves at risk of the virus in order to help those who are more vulnerable than them. That's suffering. I know that a number of us are going to be called on to suffer by giving more of our time and energy to make sure that no one in Stonehill is left behind during this crisis. I suspect all of us in some way or another, in order to help those who are, are, are more hurt by this, uh, financially hurt by this, the virus, we're, we're going to be asked to, to sacrificially give. Not only sacrificially give by faith to the general fund of this church, but to even make deeper sacrifices so that people in financial distress are cared for. I think in other ways we will, we will be tested by, by spending time caring for people and walking people through this. The reality is that the very way in which God's plan for bringing salvation to the world is the very same way that we must be involved as we carry on the ministry of the suffering servant. Suffering is part of what God has called us to do. And may God give us courage, strength, power to stand up under suffering and to realize that when we suffer, we become more like Jesus Christ. And as we suffer, this is the ministry that God has always called us to do. And today, we have no choice but to suffer, and to sacrifice for one another, to sacrifice for our community. Because this is what the suffering servant did in order to bring salvation. And since we have come to him by faith, he is sending us out to do that kind of ministry, to bring salvation to the ends of the world. But it will require suffering. That's a piece of bad news. Now, the second piece of good news. Just quickly as we close up. Let's go back to verse 7. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One. Again, describing the suffering of Jesus. The suffering of the servant to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation. The servant of rulers. Now, here's, here's the piece of good news. The good news is this is that the suffering servant who died for our sins to provide salvation for us, to bring God's salvation plan into effect for Israel and for Gentiles and for the world, is the same suffering servant who will come again in power to remake the world, to redeem the world, not just the people in the world, but to redeem the whole natural order, to free the world from its bondage to decay and corruption because of sin. To free the world of sin, sickness, and disease. And if we know the suffering servant by faith, we know this, this sovereign suffering servant who will come again. We will live with him in a remade world, free from sin, death, and sickness. That is our hope. This is the piece of good news. Notice what he says at the end of 7. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. What we see in the last part of verse 7 is a picture of the second coming of Jesus Christ when He comes to remake and redeem this broken world. And when He comes again, His plan of redemption that was purchased in the death and suffering of the, of, of the suffering servant will, will, will be rewarded by, by, by completing that mission when he comes again and not only remakes us individually, but remakes the entire universe. 
fully redeemed and free from the power of sin and death forever. And because that is the ultimate hope, because God's plan through the suffering servant who's already come, because he's coming again in power, in glory, where every knee shall bow before him, we know that as we continue the mission of the suffering servant, as we suffer taking the gospel to the world, as we take up the mission of the suffering servant, we know that this mission that we are involved in will not fail. It will succeed. God will bring it to completion. And therefore, we have hope in the midst of suffering. Therefore, we have faith in the midst of anxiety. Therefore, we we have courage even when eh, things are grim. Because we know as we serve this suffering servant, as we have to suffer to continue his ministry, we know that in the future, that suffering servant will come back as the king of the universe. And his mission will will be fulfilled, and those of us rightly related to the suffering servant who suffer as we continue his ministry know that everything we do for that king in his ministry of taking salvation to the world, it will be fruitful, it will not fail, it will succeed, and we will enjoy the fruits of that victory forever. Let me pray for us. Dear Father in heaven, I pray for us in this time, Lord. I pray that you would remind us that the suffering servant of Isaiah 49 has come and has died. And that through his death has procured salvation for Israel, salvation for the Gentiles, salvation that needs to be shared to the ends of the earth. Lord, as we look back to what you did on that cross, may we have great hope. Your plan to redeem the world through the death of the suffering servant has already taken place. The suffering servant has come and died. We know that. We see that. It's it's historically validated through your word. May that give us hope. May we hope in him alone. Lord, I pray that in the midst of this, this, this trial that we're in, in the midst of the suffering that we're all involved in, that we would know that this world is fragile, this world is, is, is broken, this world is not solid. And may you drive us back to put our complete hope, our complete security, our complete identity in Jesus Christ alone, this suffering servant. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be ready to suffer as we continue the ministry of that suffering servant of taking the gospel to the world. I pray that we would be able to do what we need to do to serve each other, to help each other, to sacrifice for each other, all for the cause of Christ, knowing that as we take the gospel in, in, in the ministry of the suffering servant, we will have to follow his example, his mode of suffering first. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember, yes, there's suffering, but in the end, there will be glory. Your sovereign plan to redeem this world from sin and all of its effects, you are going to right this world. You are going to bring justice and life, and and, and you're going to eradicate sin and death and sickness. And because we know that is sure, because we know that is our destiny, because we know that your plan cannot fail, Lord, may you help us... to sacrifice in all the ways you're calling us to sacrifice, knowing full well that everything we do for you ultimately will be part of your plan that will be fully completed and succeed because you are the king. Help us, Lord, at this time. Do what we must do to serve each other, to serve our communities, 
to support one another, to point people to Christ, who is the only sure hope in a fragile and broken world. We pray this in Jesus' name.